Uh, we're in Psalm 117, which is a big shift from the Gospel of John, which we spent the last four years going through. So if it's new to you, it's new to me too. And we are going to um, make you shift gears yet again. In the first service, I used the dancing uh, terminology, and I re remembered, ah, oh, we're Mennonite. No, we don't do that. So uh, what's going to happen is um, this week we're going to do the first of the psalm series, and then we're going to start a series on the Ten Commandments, and then later on in the summer... We're going to finish off the Psalms series just with scheduling. This is the way that it worked. So I get to preach on Psalm 117. I could choose any psalm I wanted, and I chose the shortest one. So we should be out of here in about five minutes, right? Sorry. That's not going to happen. Okay, so... Psalm 117. Uh, Ma Madeline Ray uh, was born with a rare condition called AVM, atriovenous malformation. And what this is, is that the arteries of her body, where they meet the veins, did not form properly, particularly in her brain. And what happens in that case is that that is where there is weakness. And when it's in your brain, you are susceptible to aneurysms and strokes and things like that. Madeline had her first stroke in grade five. And it took years of rehabilitation before she could walk again. And then in grade nine, four years later, she had her second stroke. And to this day, she can't use her left arm very well. In grade 10, she had her third and fourth stroke. And they are waiting for the day that that stroke will take her home. Because of the nature of this, she was eligible for a Make-A-Wish Foundation uh, wish, which was granted to her. And she was able, as a young girl, to choose what she wanted to do as a wish. So when she was in grade 5, grade 6, her plan was to travel with her family. And so they had plans to take a trip, but because of the nature of her disease and the frequent aneurysms she would have and strokes, there was never a time to use it. But instead of changing her wish so that she could use it in a more appropriate way for herself, she decided that she would take the money from a Make-A-Wish Foundation and give it to the International Mission Board so that the people that cannot, that have not heard the gospel would have a chance at hearing the gospel. Before her 21st birthday, this young girl decided that giving up this kind of gift was worth it. And the question we should ask is why? 
Why? I mean, nobody would fault this young girl who has suffered incredibly, who cannot take care of herself, cannot do the most basic of tasks, to spend a little bit on herself, to find a little bit of joy for herself. And yet something, something in her said, no, instead of spending what I can spend on myself, I should spend it on those who have not yet heard the gospel. We get a similar question when we read Psalm 117. When the psalmist, an Israelite, says, Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. Our question should be, why? Why this outpouring of looking to the nations and saying, all of you out there, everybody who can see what is happening should praise God? Why did the psalmists not just say, Israel, praise God? But instead, he looks to the horizon and he says, praise the Lord, Amorites. Praise the Lord, Hittites. Praise the Lord, Canaanites. Extol him, Edomites. Extol him, Philistines. Extol him, Jebusites. Praise the Lord, Stolo Nation. Praise the Lord, Maasai of Kenya. Praise the Lord. Why? Well, Verse 2 gives us that answer. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. But what is, what is that faithfulness? What is that steadfast Love. What is the psalmist referring to? Well, he's, he's referring to the second greatest act of redemption ever. You see, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 is what is called the Egyptian halal. And this, these chapters are here to help Israel remember what God did in their history. There was a time when Israel was in slavery. When Israel was under the thumb of Egypt. Now this was not by conquest or by mistake God had brought the people there to be protected from a famine and they flourished. And because they flourished under the Egyptian rule, the Egyptian rulers thought to themselves, well, we can't have these people getting out of control. And so before they got too numerous, before they got too large to take care of, they enslaved them and made them laborers. 
Not for one year, not for 10 years, not for 50 years, but for 400 years, the Israelites were slaves to Egypt. 400 years of daily labor and beatings and death, generation after generation of hopelessness. They knew they could not save themselves. They knew that they were stuck forever. Until God saw fit to rescue them. And we know the story of the Exodus. We know this people that was persecuted and beaten and killed and taken for granted was rescued by a God who brought ten plagues upon Egypt, upon a God, Yahweh, who called himself I Am, who called Moses his servant to come and stand before Pharaoh in an audacious way and say, let my people go. And when Pharaoh said, no, your God is nothing, God showed him what Yahweh's power looked like. He turned their river into blood. He brought frogs and gnats and flies and killed their livestock and brought boils upon them. There was hail and locusts and darkness setting up each one of their deities and showing that Yahweh is better than there is nothing in comparison to the God of Israel, the God who calls himself I am. And Pharaoh every time said, no, no, no. Certainly I am more powerful than God himself. So we have the 10th plague. And where Israel was asked to take an unblemished lamb and slaughter it and take its blood and put it over the doorposts as a sign of obedience to God. And when God came over Egypt, he would kill the firstborn son of anybody whose blood was not on the doorpost. And it was at that point, it was at that point that Pharaoh said, get away from me. And with no work of their own. God freed the Israelites from 400 years of oppression and they walked out of Egypt taking what they wanted and leaving their oppressors. Oh, but Egypt wasn't done yet. No, no, no. What are we going to do? We have slave labor. We need that in order to build our kingdom. And so they chased after them. And we have the Red Sea where Moses puts his staff into the sea and God parts it. And Israel walks through. And as the Egyptians follow, God in a final act says, I am greater than any nation. And I'm going to use my people to show the world that Yahweh has no comparison. There is none like me. And so every year from that point forward, the Israelites celebrated Passover. 
And they developed songs remembering what God did. In Psalm 113, they talk about who, the lo- who is like God, who could be like Yahweh. In Psalm 114, they remember that God brought them out of Egypt and became a part of them. They say in Psalm 114, 1-2, When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary. God lived among us. Israel, his dominion, he was with us as his people. Then in Psalm 115, verse 1, it says, But we, we don't deserve that glory, not as his people, as Israel. We didn't do anything, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. You see, God, when we remember what we endured, it wasn't because of our goodness, it wasn't because of something special in us, but it was because of your goodness, your grace, your power, your might that brought this about. All praise, all honor, all glory is due you, not us. And then it culminates in Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. You see, when Jesus came, gathered his disciples and taught them, before he died, at the Last Supper, he broke bread and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, and he broke And he poured them wine, said, this is my blood. And then in Matthew 26, verse 30, it just says that they sang hymns. And then they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. These were the hymns that they sang. They remembered the goodness of God in his redemption of Israel. They remembered that it was God who deserves all glory, who deserves all praise. And they remembered that this was not just for them, but was for all nations, was for all peoples. God rescued Israel so that all nations would praise him. We forget that sometimes. The assumption is sometimes, though, why? Why should all nations praise God for what he did in Israel? I mean, if God gave me something great and I said, you should praise him because of what I got, be like, uh, no. If he gives it to me, then I will praise him. But you see, God was not building a people for himself to make them exclusive. Israel was not exclusive. When when God himself calls Abraham out 
of the land that he was in and calls him to himself. He says these things in Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Paul, in Romans chapter 15, verse 8 and 9, picks up on this when he says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. He became a servant to the Jews, to Israel, to show God's truthfulness. His truthfulness in what? In order to confirm the promise given to the patriarchs, given to Abraham, given to Isaac, given to David. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. You see, from day one, when God called Abraham out, he called him out for the nations. So that the nations would praise him. So that the people of the world would know God. And worship him as God. God's vision for his people was global. It was not national. God's vision was global. And so he used his people to show his grace and his mercy to these people that just could not get it right. And he built them up, and he punished them, and he disciplined them, and he sent them into exile so that they could see what it meant to be holy. And at the right time, at the right place, he sent his only son, the very image of God, the very likeness of himself, to show what it looks like to live a perfect life. And then to die an unjust death and be buried, but then raise again so that those people who would call on his name could take their brokenness, could take their sin, could take their twistedness and give it to him and he would grant them his righteousness his holiness, his perfection. And that those people could then stand before God, rescued and redeemed, like the people of Israel, as holy, as pure, as spotless, as if having never done anything wrong. greatest salvation story in history. And here, the psalmist saw dimly 
what God's purpose for the nations were. God gathered a people to himself to show his power, his might, his faithfulness, and his steadfast love so that through his people they would see a God worth worshiping. And then he sent Jesus. Jesus sent his disciples to the nations. The question, though, might be, so what? I'm not in slavery. I'm not as broken as maybe the Bible talks about. I mean, in Ephesians chapter 2, when it says you were dead in your trespasses. I just don't, I don't, no, I'm not there. I might be just a smidge off of what God requires. And so a loving, merciful God would overlook that modicum of difference. But the the reality is, That when we look into our hearts, when we look at our lives and the way we structure our lives and the things that we excuse on a daily basis, the way that we just, ah, yeah, whatever, it's okay. I mean, that's understandable. The little lies that we tell to protect ourselves, the innate pride that sits in our hearts, that makes us lash out in anger when someone would see us for who we really are. When we structure our lives around things, oh, how easily we covet what our neighbor has. Oh, how easily our eyes and our minds wander to lust. Oh, how greedy we get when money is in our hands. See, when we really take some time to think about our perspective, when we think about how we look at the world and how we interact with it, oh, we cannot help but feel pretty dead. If you happen to go to Nepal... In Kathmandu, there's a river that runs through the city, and it passes by the Hindu temple. And as it approaches the Hindu temple, there's a bridge, and then on the other side of the bridge, between the bridge and the temple, are these funeral pyres on either side of the river. So there's a set of stairs, and then a funeral pyre, and then a set of stairs, and a funeral pyre. And there are bodies burning on these funeral pyres, day and night. In the Hindu religion, when your family member dies, your goal is to get that body to the river within 24 hours, and you ceremonially wash it, put it on this step, and you burn it there. 
And your job as a mourning family is to make sure that the ashes go into the river to help with reincarnation. And if you come and you stand on that bridge and you look towards this temple, what you see is a physical representation of a spiritual reality that we, apart from the saving work of Christ, are burning corpses. And we are hopeless there. And yet Jesus stands there. And he says, Jason, come out of that tomb. And I live. He says, Chuck, come out of that tomb. Melissa, come out of that tomb. And glory upon glory, I have life. Because he saved me. Praise the Lord. Oh, that I can look to the horizon and I can see the hope of eternity, that I can bask in the rays of an eternal future, that my eyes can be lifted from the muck and mire of this world, of the death and suffering of this world, and I can see a glorious future, not because of what I have done, but because of what He has done. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You see, Madeline discovered that while she was unable to take care of herself, that somebody was. These are her words that she wrote to a letter when she donated her money. She said, after my second stroke, so she's in grade nine, God showed me my need for spiritual healing and not just physical healing. I was incapable of doing many things independently, like taking a bath. And I needed someone to do it for me. And through this, God made it clear to me that the same way I needed someone to physically bathe me, I also needed someone spiritually to bathe me. God showed me that the only person capable of cleaning my spirit was Jesus. So she took to heart what God said. 
what Jesus commanded his disciples in the Great Commission. Go, therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Oh, but she couldn't go. So she said, through, through the suffering, God has continued to demonstrate his faithfulness and change my desires to make an eternal impact. She got it. She recognized first her need for Christ and it, in turn it opened up her eyes to the spiritual reality around her. If I was unclean, that means they are all unclean. Currently, there are over 2,000 unreached people groups in the world which represent over 225 million people that have never heard the gospel. And they all sit on a funeral pyre. They all sit in hopelessness and darkness. And death. Oh, that we would catch the vision Madeline caught. See, because what's the funny thing? Is that our, our broken little hearts and minds take this glorious truth that we, without any strength of our own could stand before God and praise him, the God of the universe who holds the stars in place and makes the earth rotate and makes you breathe and your heart beat. That God, we could stand before him. We take that and we minimize it as if it was just for me. As if, as if somehow Jesus came just, just so that I could know him just so that I could have relationship with him. And that's where it stops. I mean, it's all good. I've heard it now. It's good. That's great. I can live in peace. My eternity, my eternity is secure. I can rest. Story ended. But that was not God's vision. That is not God's purpose. God's Purpose is that through his people, the nations would be called to worship him because of his faithfulness in our lives for the glorious redemption that we receive, that we would then turn to those around us and those in the nations far away, regardless of cost, and say, you should praise God. Why? Because he is steadfast in his love. And his faithfulness endures forever. You know, Jesus gave us a glimpse of that. The disciples were really curious about what was going on in his, you know, what's Jesus going to do? How's he going to do it? We're getting, you know, he's making all of these uh, these teachings and like there's a group gathering. What is the end going to look like? What's the end going to look like? And Jesus gives almost no details except for, except for one. 
detail. In Matthew 24, verse 14, after, the, after him saying, oh, here's a few generic things that you can expect, he gives this detail. He says, and this gospel, what I teach you, of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You see, God's vision from calling out Abraham to his commission of the disciples was that every tribe, every tongue, every nation would hear his voice and would worship him and him alone. And he will do it. See, when... The funny thing with God is he's unstoppable. Pharaoh found that out the hard way. And God gave John, the Apostle John, a vision of what the future looks like in the book of Revelation. And in chapter 7, verses 9 to 12, John sees a physical representation of what God's purposes are for the world. And this is what we read. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, righteous, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Did you catch that? Our God all the nations will call him our God and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they all fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What God has started, he will complete. His purpose is that he calls people to himself so that they in turn would call people to him because of his great love towards those he has saved. And he will accomplish it through you, through me, through the church abroad. Are our eyes set on the horizon? Or are we stuck in the muck and mire of today? Do we allow our sinful hearts to minimize the gospel of Jesus so it's comfortable for us? Or will we trust a God who sets slaves free? who brings people back from the dead and who one day will reign forever on the throne. David Platt, uh, the previous 
believe he's the previous uh, president of IMB, International Mission Board, wrote these words in his book, Radical. We will not wish we had made more money, acquired more stuff, lived more comfortably, taken more vacations, watched more television, pursued greater retirement, or been more successful in the eyes of this world. Instead, we will wish we had given more of ourselves to living for the day when every nation, tribe, people, and language will bow around the throne and sing the praises of the Savior who delights in radical obedience and the God who deserves eternal worship. How big is your gospel? How desperately did you need Jesus? How desperately does our broken world need Jesus? Oh, would this psalm sing in your hearts? First, that he has been faithful to us. That he has lavished upon us grace and mercy, and healing, and forgiveness. Oh, but brothers and sisters, let us not forget there are still fires burning. That there are still dead people who need to be brought to life. Praise the Lord, all nations. Praise him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you give us a vision that is much grander than we could possibly think? Father, would you burden our hearts first with your glorious redemption of us? We would see who are we to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. But, Father, would that please then spur us on Oh, to making more sons and daughters. Father, would our hearts be burdened with those who do not know you? Would our eyes be lifted to the nations? Would we declare, praise the Lord? Oh, Father, would you do this in us? In Jesus' name, amen.